Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion, addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in and for sharing the podcast. And we just received donations in the last couple days from two states that have not been on our list. So people are getting the word out. Thank you to Stephanie over in Maryland. Uh, she says, I live in Maryland, so now you can add it to the list of states that support your ministry. <laughs> Thank you. Actually, that's, that's Michael. Um, Michael or, and or Stephanie. Thank you guys. God bless you. And also over in West Virginia. Can't believe we didn't have any, uh, listeners. Well, I think we do have listeners. So we're talking about people that have donated to the podcast from these states. And now we've got Charleston, West Virginia. Thank you, Milton. God bless you. And so now, friends, according to our unofficial calculations, that's 43 states out of 50. And I don't have the list in front of me. I know Hawaii and I think Utah and I think Connecticut, Rhode Island were not on the list of either listeners or donors to stand up for the truth. So it's interesting. I'll get you that update. But uh, 43 states, so we've got donations. Anyway, um, we've got a lot of heavy topics today with Pastor John Haller. Title of today, Last Days, This Is Not a Drill. Uh, you can get John's updates. He sometimes does more than just a weekly Bible prophecy update at his YouTube channel, and that is at FBC. Uh, Fellowship Bible Chapel YouTube. Hey, John, welcome back to the podcast, brother. It's good to be back, David. So we're gonna, I'm gonna do these backwards. We're not gonna get to everything, but I did want to mention two things that headlines that came across my desk. Uh, Minnesota governor signed a bill allowing illegal residents to obtain a driver's license. What could go wrong? I'm thinking elections and other things. Hmm. Also, illegal immigration tax. Uh, is now $1,156 a year per U.S. taxpayer. So U.S. taxpayers are now paying $151 billion a year for illegal immigration, and that's how much it's costing us. That's a 30% increase in five years. And also, um, the Biden State Department is giving funds, money, to anti-government protests in Israel. We'll get to that. Also, in a direct broadcast, Netanyahu warns Iranian people of horrible nuclear war if Iran gets atomic weapons. And let's start, John, with what the January 6 revelations confirm about the left's ominous agenda and, of course, the insidious goal at the heart of the Democrats' investigation is an attack on really Donald Trump and conservatives. So let's start with January 6th and some recent developments and things we're finding out from the video that we were not shown and we're finding out people have lied. So, John, where would you like to start? There's so many stories coming out on this. It's uh, it's hard to know where to begin, but uh, <laughs> Tucker Carlson, Kevin McCarthy did give Tucker Carlson a um, access to the videos for... Uh, the J6 event at the Capitol. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, we have to acknowledge that there are some things that were uh, that were done wrong by people on that particular day that shouldn't have been done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you see, you see the picture of the uh, people at the at the one Capitol doors, the one where Ashley Babbitt got shot and killed, and she was the only person that died that day. By the way, hmm. uh, contrary to what the president has said, yep. the J Six Committee has said, and the Attorney General of the United States, the top law enforcement officer in the United States, said that five people died that day. This is a complete bald-faced lie yes and I, I it's it's shocking to me but you know when when you think of it in terms of bible prophecy i think it's it's clear that <coughs> you have these people that are uh they're they're under delusion and there's a sense of lawlessness that we see in the last days and we see this we see this everywhere and and as, as i was looking at the pictures the one thing i noticed was that fairly early on in the protest at the Capitol building, the uh, federal officers fired tear gas. Hmm. And I'm not so sure as I'm analyzing that. I don't want to see them break in the Capitol or that type of thing. But the, the crowd was up against the Capitol doors in very close proximity, and they fired tear gas. And it w- I think it would be a normal reaction to get away from that. But they can't go backwards because of the press of the crowd. And the only way some of them could go forward was to break into the Capitol. Now, look, I'll admit I'm thinking about this as a lawyer if I was defending some of these guys. But understand, we're two years and two months out from a lot of these guys sitting in prison. Yes. Many of them being held for over a year in solitary confinement for, you know, an event that they – Listen, it, it's a complete lie to say that this was the worst thing since 9-11 or it was or the as civil bad war as the, or whatever. Yes. The 1812 attack by the British on the Capitol. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. And that type of thing. So, but, uh, so Tucker got access to all of the videos. And when he got access to the videos, the, with the way electronic discovery and things work right now, they have a database, and so they they can see who's viewed that video and when. So, for example, if the January 6th committee members or their staffers or attorneys that were working with them went in, they, they can go back and they can see who it was that reviewed the video and when. Wow. And it's clear that all of these videos had been reviewed by the J6 staff yep. uh, committee. So what does that mean? Uh, they lied. Well, it means that... It means that they knew all of this information. So yes. the one thing that you see is, so let's look at the QAnon shaman. That's the one case. So he pled guilty. He was sentenced to 41 months in federal prison. He's been in long enough that I think in three months he'll be eligible for release. In the federal system, you have to serve, I think, 85% of your sentence. Hmm. So he should be getting out soon. But he pled guilty. Now, in the federal, and, and, and you see the video of him being led through the Capitol by many different officers. He has no weapon. He goes into the, to the, uh, Senate office, the Senate chamber, and he actually says a prayer for the, uh, committee, uh, or for the people that, the, the Senate and the people that are working there. It's, it's not violent in any way. I guess that's the point I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And the portrayal was, he would be violent. And so you see these lunatics like uh, 
the guy from the Lincoln Project, Steve Schmidt, who used to be, I think, a Republican and now is completely turned the other way. And he's on, you know, you see him on MSNBC, shoot him, shoot the guy, or he's on Bill Maher's show or something like that. Shoot this guy. But he doesn't, he doesn't have a weapon. Uh, and he doesn't appear to be violent. And he's, he's literally being led yes. by the officers up to doors to yeah. see if they're unlocked. Yes. And then they open the door and let him in. So I saw the video too. I these just want police officers with weapons. Why didn't they do something about it? Yes. And, and we have to maybe go back, John. We're talking about video that has now been released that you can see. This guy that looked like a radical, allegedly Trump supporter, breaking into the Capitol, they literally walked him, almost escorted him through, in some cases led him to, they tried to get in one door, they went in through another door, and they were walking with him, these security guards. I think we have to go back to people that don't understand what happened when Nancy Pelosi could have called on the National Guard, right? She could have, she was in charge of the, she could have the asked for additional security. security. She, yes. she is in charge of the Capitol building. Yes, so this leads us to believe this. It really looks like it was on purpose what happened. So go back for those who are, really have not been connecting the dots or didn't know about what's going on. Yeah, look, I, I so, you know, as someone who voted for Trump a couple times and, and had concerns about the election and that type of thing, um, but understand i mean you know they they fire the tear gas in which gets the crowd hyped up and then they get these guys uh like the QAnon shaman and they they lead him around it's almost like they're leading him around to find a door that they can open to take him in someplace where there'll be a photo op yeah that that's what it looks like to me now in in federal courts there's a thing called Exculpatory evidence. So when you're, when you're indicted, and listen, I represented someone in a very large white collar case, and my guy was convicted. And this is the game that the federal prosecutors play. They are obligated by the rules to give exculpatory evidence, evidence that might tend to prove that you're innocent of the indict, any of the indicted charges. So sometimes they'll bring these indictments that have 30, 40 counts. And so if there's any documents, they're obligated to give you exculpatory evidence. That's something that might tend to prove that you're innocent. And part of that is because they have access to all the evidence. The people who you're being defended, your liberty is at stake, and you don't get access. You They have all the evidence that you need access for to look through. I'll just give you the example in my case that this was the game they played. First, what they say is the prosecutors, and believe me, I was with some very high-level prosecutors mm-hmm. from the DOJ on my case. It was a very high-profile case. The first thing they say is, oh, well, uh, Mr. Haller, there are there is no exculpatory evidence because everything shows that your client is guilty. And that's always a big, bold-faced lie. In our case, then they said, okay, we will give you what we think are, are the key documents. Now, in our case, there were about 40 million pages of documents that have been seized by the feds. They were put in these big, long boxes that hold 7,500 pages each. And they then say, okay, here's a list of the key documents. They give us a spreadsheet, David. Mm-hmm. It was 2,750 pages long with 50 documents listed on each page. And what it did was it told you the box that the, what a brief description of the document and the box that the document was in. So you then had to go to get the warehouse during the nine to five hours 
that they're open and request that box. They brought you a box stuffed with 7,500 pages of documents and other things that they had seized from the company. And you have to go through that box to find that one document. My goodness. And we had 2,750 pages of document list with 50 documents on each page. Hmm. And that was just the initial run through of what they thought were key documents. When the trial came, I had to uh, cross examine what is known as the uh, summary witness. There's the, they can bring a, a government FBI agent in who spent the last three years. I mean, the indictment took three and a half years after the seizure of documents and the trial was a couple years later. So they've had five and a half years to go through this and train this guy to talk about the documents. I received on the afternoon before the guy was testifying the next day. I didn't know what he was going to testify about. I received eight of the biggest notebook, three ring binders that you can buy stuffed with paper. And it says, we may question him on these documents. I got those at two in the afternoon, stayed up all night. And the guy testified the next day. He testified all the next day. So I had another night to review. And then I finally got to cross-examine him. But I'm just telling you is that when you're a defendant in a federal case like this, you, you think you have all these rights to due process and stuff. And there are games that are played. And what happened here was there was no exculpatory evidence given to the QAnon shaman's attorney. Now, I saw an interview on Tucker last night that indicates that his attorney may not have requested it. Hmm. It's clear that this is potentially exculpatory information. It's clear that the prosecutors knew about it. It's clear that the prosecutors hid this from the judge. Wow. But wow. his attorney made him enter into a plea agreement that says he can't appeal and he can't really challenge it and he's not going to come after me for malpractice. And hmm. so this guy, it, it, the, the, the thing that's disturbing is these they're destroying people's lives. Yes. It's just like on the um, uh, the pro-life demonstrations where they, they've indicted 11 people, I think, in Philadelphia uh, for praying outside an abortion clinic in the hallway. Mm -hmm. And they're saying it's an obstruction to the abortion clinic. Now, there was one guy, you remember, that was charged, and I can't remember his name right off the top of my head. Uh, the guy was kind of in his face and his 12-year-old son's face, so he pushed him out of the way. The local prosecution, the local prosecutors in Philadelphia, the state prosecutors in Philadelphia, where they have these left-wing prosecutor lunatics in charge, they didn't prosecute him. The feds indicted him. He went to trial. He has to hire a lawyer. They sent 30 people out, hmm. 30 uh, FBI agents out, with long, many with long guns, yep. to arrest this guy at home where he has seven children. Yeah. He had offered to turn himself in. This is being done to intimidate people. Yeah, by the way, at the same, and, and Merrick, Merrick Garland was in, yeah. uh, in the, in the House or the Senate having a, uh, hearing at a hearing just a week ago. And he said, well, you know, uh, I don't agree with your characterization of what happened, but he would never answer any of the questions. I played a clip of it in my update last Sunday. Uh, David, we've, we've had a coup in this country. Yes. Um, I'm afraid to say. I, I don't really know how else to say it. Yeah, his name is Mark Houck, H-O-U-C-K. Mark and Houck. Yeah, he was acquitted. He was pro-life activist, acquitted. Yeah, the jury deliberated one hour. Yeah, it was an FBI okay. raid. Now, that you, uh, you need to understand, 
that that's very unusual that a jury can come back that quickly mm-hmm. because they have to get in there. They have to, you know, who's, where's the water? Where's the bathroom and all this stuff. And in an hour, they're done. Yeah. They, which means clearly the government knew. did not prove its case. Exactly. Clearly knew. So yeah, I agree, John. Um, there has been a coup on American citizens, on Christians, conservatives, Republicans, um, patriots and, what we were talking about earlier, some of these innocent victims of January 6th, they've been abused more than any group really in, in recent history. And, um, you know, the judges are complicit in this. Some of these federal judges are complicit. It's not just the Biden administration. Uh, it's not yeah. just the left, but some of these judges. So, um, what do you think is going to come of I this? I would highly recommend that you, you, that people follow, uh, a journalist named Julie Kelly. Uh, I mean, there's some things she says I don't like, but she's been working on this for quite a while. And a lot of these guys, are, and I've heard interviews with them. Dennis Prager, mm-hmm. a few, a couple months ago, did an interview with one of the guys from prison. And I mean, he's in solitary confinement in in a um, a jail that uh, you you would describe with uh, very bad words. Yeah, <laughs> uh, similar to what uh, Trump described some of the things where these kids were being held. Uh, that were being allowed in across the border. So I, um, it's very disturbing. And, and the other thing that they're doing right now too is they're they're pumping up the statistics. So they may have one incident, like people praying at this particular clinic in Philadelphia, where eleven get arrested and indicted for obstruction of the clinic. And by the way, and you have people on uh, Julian Appling and other people talking about where's where's the investigation on our pregnancy decision center clinic of uh, violence that's happened here. What are you doing about that? Yeah. Reverend Jim Harden. Pro-life side, yeah. Jim Harden yeah. from Buffalo. And on the pro- on. Right. That's the, that's the guy in the pro-life side. What they do though, is they, they don't treat that as one incident. When they, when they do the statistics, they put it into the system as 11 separate incidents, which makes it look like, Oh, look at the spike in violence at abortion clinics. Jeez. What's up? And then it drives this whole narrative. It's just, um, it's, it's very disturbing to me. And, and again, I'm not excusing everything that happened on on January 6th. That, that, uh, but I'm just telling you is that it's being used to drive the narrative. And we saw this in the hearings on Twitter, Mm -hmm. uh, hearings just yesterday, Matiabi and, uh, I can't remember the other, guy's name who testified about how all of this stuff was constituted to, you know, change to make it, uh, to restrict people that were talking about certain things on the, uh, particularly on the handling of the COVID-19 situation, including probably the leading epidemiologist in the world who was critical of masking and that sort of thing. And it was just deplatformed from Twitter. And then there was the congressman in Massey. Um, can't remember where he's, is he from Wisconsin? No, I don't think so. Uh, anyway, he was saying yesterday that they were, they were tracking his tweets, the Twitter people yep. and providing the information to the federal government, then working together to shadow ban them and that type of thing. And we do have a thing called the first amendment. And the one thing that I think has been incredibly troubling to me to watch all of this is that uh, the government, the government can't outsource their ability to restrict free speech. They're not allowed to do that. 
But I don't know if you go to a, like an Obama appointed judge that you're ever going to get any relief on this. So we, we clearly have a major problem in yeah. the United States right now. Yeah, we've seen that. I mean, ever since the Obama administration, we saw the corruption. We just saw it building and building. And now, John, what will come of this should more truth be revealed? I mean, video and, and other evidence um, that would show that the Democrats had this agenda. They wanted to destroy Trump. Um, they wanted to uh, get to the people that supported him and intimidate. And they've been, they deployed this. They're trying to provoke patriots into acts of resistance that they can use as a pretext to start maybe a, a civil war or whatever. But th- it seems like it's all coming back on them. But will there be any accountability? Who will answer for this? And it's usually years down the road if the truth does come out. So they get away with it in the meantime, fooling and deceiving a lot of people in the meantime. Well, you know, what's what's disturbing, too, is that there were immediately a number of uh, so-called Republicans who came out and were very critical of Tucker Carlson or McCarthy for having ever given this to other people. Like, how dare they ex- let the truth come out? And yeah. I'm not, I'm, I don't understand when journalism changed from people who want to find the truth, but instead want to control the narrative. Yes. And this is, this is very fascistic. I, I saw a, a Democratic Congresswoman complaining about the fact that, you know, this is going to cause more violence and people shouldn't know this. And it, it, it just seems like we've, we've evolved very quickly into this total dystopian society. Mm-hmm. So let, let me wrap it up maybe yes. by saying this. I know that the Republicans control the House right now, and they are conducting hearings, and you can watch those go to C-SPAN. I would encourage you to watch them. Uh, if, but, it, you know, if you're prone to, like, high blood pressure, heart problems, and that type of thing, you probably <laughs> yes, stay away. should take a sedative or something <laughs> before you do that. Um, because it, it's, it's, you see, you see these people here. Look, as a lawyer, I, I took a lot of classes on like, when can you tell someone is lying? And you learned for body language cues and mm-hmm. that type of thing. And it's interesting. One of those classes I took, they used a lot of examples as to this is what a person does when they're lying. And then proceeded to play clip after clip after clip of Bill Clinton, because it, you know, we know that Clinton had a problem with the truth. Uh, <laughs> Bill Clinton, let alone Hillary. Yeah, Right. Right. But the problem right now is whatever the, the, the Republicans uncover, nothing's going to happen right now. Mm-hmm. You need to under, people need to understand exactly. that. I mean, we can be optimistic yes. and that type of thing. Nothing is going to happen. No one is going to be indicted for abusing this unless the Republicans, Trump, DeSantis, you know, uh, the others that are running are elected as president and become getting control of the Department of Justice. But I will say that when the um, uh, when the uh, if a Republican administration came in in 2025 after the election in 2024, they would have to go through and completely clean house of a lot of the deep state operatives that. Uh, Obama was able to take from political appointees and turn them into federally protected employees as he was leaving office. It was a very clever thing to do. Mm. 
Uh, and I've suggested the only thing you can do is isolate those people, take their computers away, continue to pay them, but don't let them have any contact with the outside world during work hours mm. or any access to any information in the government and just pay them to sit in a warehouse someplace and, and collect their money. Uh, I think that that's maybe the only way that something like this is going to happen. And I know that some of the Republican uh, candidates are talking about doing that, but I, I burst out laughing the other night when I said I saw it on MSNBC and Republican Mitt Romney criticizes what's going on with Tucker Carlson. I'm amazing. I'm they like, still call him Republican. Amazed. I know. You know, it's just, it just, but you know, Mitch McConnell, the head of the Senate came out. So you're not going to see anything in the Senate as long as, as, uh, um, uh, as long as the Republicans or it, 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 he's got to be gone in mm-hmm. 2025 if the Republicans, uh, take, take back control of the Senate if, and everything. Yeah. But I'm not so sure that's, that that's going to happen. Uh, you know, the election process is being, um, I don't know, weaponized, I guess, to yeah. favor. You mentioned the, the Minnesota law where they're going to give illegal aliens driver's licenses. Yeah. What could go wrong? And then, so what do you have to show to vote? A driver's license. <laughs> you don't have to, you know, so I mean, look, but, this is, I, I, you need to understand there's been this incredible coup. That's happened in, you know, what many people consider to be the freest country on earth. And it's, it's this constant drive and push of this narrative that we see. It's just, uh, it's, it's troubling to me. I mean, uh, I, my wife and I mention this every now and then I turned 69, you know, a couple weeks ago and it's like, I'm, I'm really glad I'm an old guy (laughs) now, you know, I don't know if I'd want to be 40. Um, and looking at what I'm facing, because I'm not. So things could change, mm-hmm. but we also know that you know the spirit of the lawlessness and things. And if we really are at this last period of human history, we're going to see this quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and it's not it's not going to change. I yeah. think I mentioned in one of my emails to you, we're not going back to 2019, the great no. the good old days of 2019, or even how about 1955? I don't think we'll ever see those again. Yeah, 1950s. Yeah, we're not we're not going back. Uh, we had Todd Nettleton on uh, Voice of the Martyrs yesterday, and after, uh, we talked about persecution in general around the world. And then we, uh, second segment, we talked about persecution right here and discrimination against Christians and the hostility, open hostility toward the biblical worldview right here in the United States. But, John, we've got three minutes left before we've got to take a break. And let's transition now. Um, the Biden State Department is giving money to anti-government protests in Israel. And this is an article over at Israel365news.com. And so this is very interesting, uh, and this whole political game that's being played and what the media is portraying about Israel. So set this up for us, what's happening, and then we'll take a break and come back. Let's maybe set it up, and we'll finish it up after the – tie it up after the break. But what's going on right now in Israel are massive protests – against the new government. The new government, I was in Israel in mid-December. I was actually over at the Knesset as they were trying to form the government. The Knesset was elected. They were meeting. They were putting laws forth. But the uh, prime minister and who was going to be in the cabinet of the prime minister 
had not been decided yet because Netanyahu was still in negotiations with the coalition. Mm -hmm. And we got to meet some of the coalition members and that type of thing. And I got to talk to some of the people that are close to some of these people in the new uh, ministry, uh, particularly Ben Gavir, who's a very controversial guy who's doing the internal security thing. But so what uh, what Netanyahu did to get the coalition government in place was enter into agreement with the right wing conservative religious parties, mm-hmm. uh, some of which are uh, ultra orthodox, uh, who really are supportive of the state of Israel. Their people have been able to work away that they don't have to serve in the military, but they get a lot of welfare from the government. And they just, and they are, um, when you go into their communities, and this is not to be derogatory in any way because I'm a pro family guy. The number of babies and children in those communities is just absolutely shocking. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember six years ago when we were in Israel, we're driving down the street in one of those communities in 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 a kilometer, which is a little over half a mile. I know on that one street, I saw a hundred baby buggies, <laughs> over a hundred baby buggies on the street. And you go out at night and every young Jewish couple, particularly Orthodox, has a baby in their hand. I saw a guy walking through the old city who had, you know, uh, six kids under the age of six, you know, a couple in a stroller and the others hanging on to him. And he's trying to get up the, the step, you know, the hilly, part of the old city there and he's uh, got his uh, cell phone cradled in his head. And so you see this all over. So the Netanyahu made the agreement with the ultra-Orthodox parties, which is a big concern for a lot of people, particularly mm-hmm. on the left, the center, even on the right about how, what's going to happen with the government. Or the- uh, well, John, when we come back, we're going to have to continue this. Plus um, an article you sent me to look at the urgent need for Israeli electoral reform and a couple more articles on now the political tension over there in the Middle East. That's coming up next on Stand Up for the Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up for the Truth. You can find John Haller's prophecy updates at the FBC. Uh, Bible Chapel, Fellowship Bible Chapel, YouTube, and uh, John, are you on Rumble as well? Yeah, okay. Real FBC, okay, real. And FBC. I think we might be on Brideon as Brideon as well, but uh, Real FBC and YouTube are the ones that we are do most things on. And uh, you sometimes do midweek updates. Uh, I think you could do an update every day, but that would drive you bananas. Yeah, so if, if people want to go, I, I hope to about 15 minutes after we finish here today, I may do a little bit of an update of the few things that we didn't discuss today because I, I'm looking at the bullet points that I sent you. I don't think we've reached any one of them yet, <laughs> I know. which is fairly typical. Yeah, well, January 6th is a big thing, uh, the, just the injustice yeah. that's happening in the coup in America. But let's talk about Israel. Let's talk about the, the political climate there and some of the things that the American news obviously doesn't cover. So a, coal, a coalition with the right-wing Orthodox and religious parties um, was formed by Netanyahu, and they put people in place. Now, one of the things that happened pretty early on was that there was one of the ultra-Orthodox party leaders who was, a, I think, the finance minister, had been convicted of a tax conviction uh, a number of years ago. And, and he's kind of a, you know, he has a bad reputation. Uh, but 
one of the things that happened though was there was a petition that was filed and because of the way the judicial system has evolved in the, in Israel, about 30 years ago, they started, the Supreme Court took a lot more power saying, well, we're allowed to determine, uh, make a reasonableness test on whether things that are done, being done in the government pass the reasonableness test. And it's, it's a very undefined thing. And for years, people on all sides of the political spectrum have been calling for some kind of judicial reform because now the way that it's involved, essentially the judges get to select themselves to serve. It's unlike <laughs> almost any country in the world. Like in the United States, the president will appoint someone and then it will go to the Senate for hearings and the Senate will decide up or down. Now, usually it's approved, but there are times when people do not pass muster. And sometimes it's so bad that they just withdraw their nomination because it's clear they're not going to get the votes, mm -hmm. even from the president's party. So there's been talk about judicial reform. So one of the things that happened very early on after Netanyahu formed his government in late December was that a petition was filed and said, well, Netanyahu should not be allowed to participate in the government because he's under indictment. He's got three indictments against him. And these cases, when I've, I've talked to Israeli lawyers, it's like, well, how long are these things going to last? Well, these cases could go on for five years. And so you wonder if the indictment is to convict him or just to prevent him from serving. And people file a petition with the Supreme Court to say, well, Netanyahu's not qualified to serve because of these indictments. Usually in the United States, that would be thrown out of court in a minute. But this goes all the way to the Supreme Court of Israel. Hmm. And the Supreme Court of Israel didn't grant it in this case, but sort of said, well, we could if we wanted to. And in the case of this guy that was the head of Dari, who was head of the Shas party, they granted the petition. He was allowed to remain in the Knesset as a member of the parliament there, but he was not allowed to be the finance minister. And they said, well, he agreed not to do that in his plea agreement. Now, I sort of saw a translation of the plea agreement he didn't agree to that. It was the court decided that he shouldn't serve. And in, in this case, it's, I don't know a lot of people that support this guy because he's got a bad reputation and everything. But when you start making the rules about someone you hate that up in the system, it's just like here in the United States, everything that the left is doing could be done. If the power changed, it could be done to them. So this is, this is a very bad situation. So, the Netanyahu coalition has now proposed a judicial reform. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that they would do is they could overturn the uh, decision of the Supreme Court by a vote of 61. That's a majority of the Knesset. There's 120 members. And everybody is just completely melting down. Now, I, I can find video clips, and I've, I've had people, I've asked them, hey, what what are they saying in Hebrew? And it's like Yair Lapid calling for judicial reform. And now he's totally against judicial reform. Nobody will compromise. So there's a good, at Melanie Phillips' uh, substack, it would be uh, melaniephillips.substack.com. There's a great article today talking about the need for reform. Mm -hmm. And everybody agrees that they need reform. But what they're doing is they're having massive protests. Uh, people are saying they're, they're encouraging businesses to leave Israel. People are saying we're leaving Israel. Jeez. Uh, we're, we're going back to where we came from. 
Uh, they've now gotten a number of reserve officers, like in, in one unit, 37 out of 40 in an Air Force reserve unit that says we won't engage in training or do anything to serve the government if they wow. go into a war. Wow. Yesterday they had naval officers who did a, a flotilla to block ships coming in and out of the major port of Haifa at the cost of millions of dollars. Uh, so, you know, it, it's a very serious situation. And it, it's interesting that the people that oppose the judicial reform, uh, and they don't have enough votes to stop it, so, to be honest with you. The, the Netanyahu parties have 64 votes, and the, the Arab parties have about 10 or so. And then so the other 46 or 47, it's, they're never going to win. Mm. So they're trying to shut down the government and, and they're saying things like a high level security officer yesterday said, I think Melanie Phillips quotes him in her article saying, we need to shut down the, the anti-democratic government, which was the democratically elected. Um, oh. it's, it's, it's pretty bad. I mean, now the Israeli system is different because they don't have, you know, two, like they don't have the House and the Senate yeah. we have that serve as a check and balance. They don't have an executive branch. Everything kind of flows out of the, uh, Knesset. And I think it's a legitimate concern. They get the wrong people in charge of the Knesset and then having supremacy over the Supreme Court, unrestricted control over the Supreme Court would be a bit of a problem. So John, but this is. Um, this is not, this is not just opposition to Netanyahu is what you're saying. Because in the money that the state, U.S. State Department gave toward these protests, I mean, even Biden, in a rare move, criticized the uh, politics of a foreign country. And Biden pointed to the protests as a sign that Netanyahu, Netanyahu should not pursue the reforms. And what, what does the U.S. Democratic Party have? At stake here, they have a history of meddling in Israeli politics and elections, and they are opposed to Netanyahu. Do. What what do they have at stake here? Well, you know, it's interesting that it seems like everything revolves around Israel in the world in many <laughs> cases, and I think this is prophetic, yeah. and yes, I think this yes, is good point. Important. I mean, I was just reading an article this morning that the European Union, through some of its NGOs, is there. They're like buying. Uh, manufactured homes and setting up Palestinian communities in areas where they're not allowed to be set up. Hmm. And the EU's funding this. I mean, there was a huge article, uh, this morning that I read about this. So, so, and it's the left wing agenda. It's anti Israel. We know that at the UN, uh, and that type of thing, they're, you know, they'll have, uh, anti particular government resolutions each year. So like last year, let's say there was 30. I, I'm just pulling a number out of the air. 15 of them were against Israel, one against North Korea, one against China. You know, so hmm. everything seems to be there's an inordinate focus on Israel. And understand that the EU, you know, there there are other ethnic groups like the Kurds in Iraq, Iran, and Syria that have legitimate claims to the land. They're, that's probably the Lord largest ethnic group on the planet without its own country. And they're horribly persecuted. Turkey treats all of them as terrorists. Iran treats them largely as terrorists. And I, Iraq is and Syria are kind of not happy with them either. But the EU doesn't go in there and fund the construction of Kurdish villages. Hmm. They only go in and fund the construction of, quote, Palestinian villages in Area C 
which even under the most recent agreement, the Oslo Accords, is under the control of the Israeli government. Uh, and part of what they're trying to do is they're trying to choke off the Israeli settlements that have grown up in Judea and Samaria, which, shock horror of horrors, allows Jews to live in the historical heartland of Israel. When when you go to Israel, it's interesting. Very, you don't very often go to a lot in Judea and Samaria because they're restricted areas. It's It's hard to get into sometimes, but that's like the biblical heartland. And they restrict Jews from living there. I mean, I've been to places in Israel that, you know, Orthodox Zionist Jews who immigrated there have never been. Hmm. They've never been to these places because they're not allowed to go there. We went to Shechem and Nablus, and we had got stopped at a checkpoint on the way out. I mean, we had the guns pointed at us and everything uh, because it's a bad security area. And... Um, the Orthodox Jew who was the head of the IDF unit there, he, he was like, Oh, tell me about Shechem. I've never been allowed to go there. It was one mile away. He's an Orthodox Jew <laughs> and one of the most important religious sites to them. He's not allowed to go to. It's, it's appalling. So I'm looking at one of the pictures from these protests over there and it is a banner, massive banner that, uh, they're carrying with, we must resist, and it's got the communist fist on there. It just seems so similar of uh, some of the protests that we've seen, you know, in America and from the Black Lives Matter Global Foundation Network, and from others, George Soros-backed leftists, um, you know, groups. Yeah. It just seems like th- this is a similar thing they're trying to do over there. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. Yes, it is. And, and David, I, I haven't had time to research it specifically, but I have seen what I consider to be credible research that remember all the big financial settlements after the 2008, 2009 financial crisis where these big banks were paying billions of dollars in settlements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, and that was during the Obama administration. Right. And what they did was they set up these NGOs, left wing NGOs. And they essentially laundered that settlement money into these left-wing NGOs that do things like change elections and do things against Israel and other left-wing causes. And, and they're funded and, and they've been funded with settlement money that I believe should have gone back to the people that were actually harmed, but they funneled this money into these NGOs. And I don't know anybody who's really been able to get any traction talking about it. And I, I know that this happened. Where, where did all those billions go? Where did the money go? Nobody will ever say, nobody will ever check. And the Uniparty in Washington never looks into it either. So as I said, there's a number of things that are happening on the coup. And now we have the other side of that is this misinformation, disinformation yeah. apparatus that's been yeah. set up partnership agreements where the government is paying Twitter and Facebook and other things to essentially shut people down, to squelch their speech. We have a thing in the U.S. called the First Amendment. Now, listen, the First Amendment, it, it protects speech you don't like. It, it, per, it allows people to lie. And as a Christian, we don't like that, okay? But you need to understand that 
you, we have this marketplace of ideas and that's been completely shut down. The other part that happens, and I will be honest with you, I see this happening in the Christian community as well. Okay. Um, is you get, if you, uh, if you criticize the shutting down of speech, this misinformation, disinformation apparatus that's set up, and it's clear that this has been set up. Mm-hmm. You get gaslit, and and what happens? Everybody says, oh, John or David, you're crazy. That's not what's happening. What you see happening is not really happening. <laughs> Don't believe your eyes. You. <laughs> right, and, and I see this, too, when you express concerns in the church about things happening and false teaching. You know, look, some of us have expressed uh, taking a wait-and-see approach on, say, this Asbury revival and the other things that are going on in connection with that. And I have concerns. I wrote a paper 10 years ago for Eric Barger. I, you can still find a spiritual formation uh, paper on his website. And it's, um, you know, Asbury is one of the centers of the spiritual formation. It's infiltrated all the seminaries. Hmm. But then you bring it up and... I I was on a board for 25 years. I had to leave. I was in a church fellowship, essentially told, get out of here. When I raised concerns about this, and everybody was saying is, oh, John, you don't know what you're talking about. You, you, you talk about the Enneagram and spiritual formation and the Richard Foster mysticism and Thomas Keating mysticism and all mm-hmm. this stuff. It's not that bad. You don't know what you're talking about. Wow. But it is – I would just say this: in the last ten years, have things improved in the evangelical church or <laughs> no, not? Not at all. And so, when you say though that I'm concerned, I have concerns about what's happening with um, uh, the, uh, the Asbury revival. There's some concerns there. People involved in that type of thing. Um, and I think they want to do well. I think they want to do good and everything. But you know, there is a and so let's just take a wait and see attitude. People are like, oh, you're, you're quenching the spirit. I can't believe you're so <laughs> negative and all this type of thing. And, and I'll be honest with you. So I, I said we weren't going to talk about this, but I found, <laughs> I think it's a four year old thing with Andy Stanley. Oh boy. Talking about that. The only thing that was central to the early church was the event of the resurrection. Oh, and it didn't really need to be tied to scripture. But then Paul comes in and says in first Corinthians 15 that Christ was crucified. And rose again. And what does he say? According to the scriptures. And so what you see is a continual, um, trend by Andy Stanley to undermine scripture. I don't care what anybody says. You, you know, stop giving him the benefit of the doubt on this because it goes, yes. he, he said in sermons, unhitch from the old testament. Right. Now he's saying unhitched from a large chunk of the New Testament. And I preached last Sunday. You can go to our website and watch it on the road to Emmaus. And what did Jesus do? So Andy Stanley says, well, it's the risen Christ. The resurrection is central. Okay. I, I agree. This is very important. And he's not denying the resurrection. Okay. That, that's very clear. But what did Jesus do? The resurrected Christ on the road to Emmaus. Talk to the disciples about what, why these things happen from the scripture. Moses and the prophets, right? What they wrote about the Messiah. Yeah. yeah. They all yeah. testify of me. Yeah. The whole book is of me. Yeah, exactly. And, 
and I just see this undermining of this. And, and so I bring it up and, and people say, and look, they can still be my friends and disagree with me. Yes. That, they that's, can. that's the way I am. But <laughs> in a sense, they're gaslighting us saying, it's not that bad. It's your, what you're seeing is not that bad. Oh boy. But now you see, I've, I've played clips of Andy Stanley from 12 years ago where he was talking about not allowing a gay couple in his church to serve because the one guy was still married. But once the, once that guy got divorced and the couple's now living together in a gay relationship, they can serve in his church. That's 12 years ago. Yeah. And the mysticism, Enneagram that he's brought in through his Catalyst conferences and other conferences, I'm just telling you, I don't understand why he gets so much grace in this particular uh, situation. I think it's very undermining of the church. It's very undermining of scripture. And I've talked about it a lot. And people still, they get upset with me when I talk about it because I don't think people want to admit that it's that bad. We, we want to trust church leaders, but I'm telling you is that you can't anymore. in a time when the scripture tells us that there's a coming apostasy, mm-hmm. we need to be careful with these things. Yeah. I think part of the reason people maybe still are trying to give him the benefit of the doubt is because of Charles Stanley. I think his dad, maybe. Um, but John, yeah, every l- time I bring, every l- time I bring ahead. it up, the first question is, what does his dad say? <laughs> and I'm like, that's funny. He has him speak at his cruises. So um, I don't know. Well, uh, low, low hanging fruit. You said you wouldn't, weren't going to go there. You couldn't resist. I know. The low you, hanging you, fruit you of Andy, led Andy Stanley. No, I led you. <laughs> okay. Now let's go back to how Melanie Phillips concluded her article. I find it to be fascinating and there's so much we could say, but we've only got four minutes left. We're talking, she's talking about countries being dangerously polarized. She said, in Israel, divisions have now been brought to a head which threatened to split the Jewish people. And she ends the article by saying, it is scant comfort that Britain and America are facing a similar reckoning. I find it to be fascinating. Yep. There is the agenda of division, divide and conquer. You see that clearly played out by the left and the Biden Democrats. John, uh, your thoughts. Yeah, and, and it's it's troubling because the other side of this that we never really got to, and I'll, I'll do a little bit on my update in 15 or 20 minutes after we finish, <laughs> but we live in a world where there is a looming threat of thermonuclear war, mm-hmm. hap- nuclear war happening. Rumors of war. And that is troubling. And Israel has this problem with Iran. Iran is, they say, 10 or 12 days away from developing, uh, having enough uranium for a thing. You have this relationship between Russia and Iran. You have Iran putting people and manufacturing missile things into Syria. Israel attacks them, but Russia is effectively in control of Syria, so they let that go. But now Iran's supplying uh, drones to Russia to use in Ukraine. Yeah. Israel attacks the drone manufacturing facility in Ukraine. And now there's even word that, you know, Russia is a major, is probably the major nuclear power in the world. Hmm. And they're, they're making threats. Go look at what I, I played the clip I played of Alexander Dugan often referred to as Putin's brain. Hmm. Uh, what he said about it on Sunday, if we start losing in Ukraine, we'll go nuclear. Wow. And, 
and 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 so and so you have this, and so you have all of this political division in Israel, and you have reserve officers saying we won't serve if there's a problem. And now the question is, how soon is is the U is Israel going to do something with Iran? Because they, they really can't wait till Iran goes nuclear. They've come out with a new cruise missile Iran did. They just announced it in the last couple of weeks. What are they going to do? Mm. And now they're so divided and you have people in the military saying, we're not going to serve. So there's one of two ways it happens. Israeli society falls apart. U.S. society falls apart or things get righted and they get back on track. And now Israel wants us to help uh, them attack Iran. Well, if we attack Iran, what is Russia going to do? Because Russia is now relying on Iran for military arms and that sort of thing. I'm just saying is I, and, and, and then it's Ukrainian thing. I'm just telling you the knife said that right now. Yeah. And we haven't even talked about the major economic meltdown that may have started yesterday in the markets when the five major banks in the United States in one day lost $52 billion in market cap value because mm. of some problems with one bank in Silicon Valley. So wow. it's a it's a troubling time to be alive. Listen, yeah. we know that the Lord's going to come back and do this, but there's no promise that we're not going to go through some things. So I think people need to prepare ourselves mentally for persecution, yep. prepare ourselves mentally, uh, physically for tough times. Yeah, it, and yeah, prepare in any you way you can. cannot sit and wait. Yeah, prepare as yeah. we trust God because he is sovereign and he is allowing this. And this is prophetic. A lot of what's going on is prophetic and it's leading us deeper into those uh, last days events and the end times. But yeah, we do also need to keep in mind, oh, we are here for a reason and we don't know how much time we have left. It's it's limited. There, It's unknown. So take advantage of the time you have by uh, speaking the truth, sharing the truth, but make sure, making sure we have a strong foundation on the truth of God's word so that we are not shaken. John, your final final encouragement. Yeah, I, listen, you know, it, it, it's strange because I, I have, I know people think I'm nervous and I'm upset and I'm confused <laughs> and all this. I hear all these, see all these crazy comments <laughs> sometimes when I read, have the audacity to read them on our YouTube channel, but I have the strange sense of calm because I know that the Lord's in control. Absolutely. I know that regardless of what happens to me, and so I, I think the more and more I'm convinced that we as Christians, I think persecution is coming and that we need to be committed to living our life in such a way and acting in such a way, praying for guidance of the Holy Spirit, staying Amen. in the word and also being committed to whatever happens to us, that we act in a way that glorifies the Lord. Amen. That, that's going to be critical. Amen. God bless you, John. Uh, we'll talk to you hopefully soon. Um, and friends, you, make sure to check out yesterday's podcast with Todd Nettleton, Voice of the Martyrs, to talk a little bit about discrimination, persecution, what's happening around the world, but also here coming up Monday, J.B. Hickson. And on Tuesday, new guest Holly Varnum. She's with Reasons for Hope, Carl Kirby's outfit. You will hear Pete Garcia on Wednesday. Thursday is open right now and tentative, and Jay Siegert is back with us on Friday. Natasha Crane the following week. Thank you guys again for sharing the podcast. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.